Welcome to the Realized Gains Podcast, a guide to real estate investing. Join our co-hosts, Jordan Lee and Stephen Tran, as we interview a diverse group of real estate investors, both amateur and professional. Our goal is to help you understand that anyone can invest in real estate. Tune in to hear creative strategies and learn from both our mistakes and our successes. You can find us where you love to listen to podcasts, on YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com. Um, so 2019, we buy, like, right in December. Well, how much was it? So the, how big was this house? Uh, 1,200 square feet. But, then, but it's in Bush Park, so, I mean, what did you we, pay? We, we ended up getting it. It was December of 2018. January is when we move in. And we got it for two hundred and sixty thousand dollars. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So now, but now it's probably worth what, like five hundred or something? Somewhere, yeah, probably four something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. geez. Yeah. Because uh, we ended up doing a basement remodel, so okay. the full basement downstairs was about nine hundred square feet, and oh, so nice. we added a bedroom, bathroom. Okay. And um, that's that's pretty much that house, that project, and. Yeah, since then we've kind of just been chipping away, trying to partner up with people to do projects. Mm-hmm. We're doing projects ourselves uh, whenever we can, or honestly getting houses that maybe we can't take the project on, but we know investors that can, Right. and, and doing that kind of thing. But just consistently looking at different opportunities um, because we are just full in, right? Thanks so much for tuning in to episode 41 of the Realize Gains podcast. I'm your co-host, Jordan Lee, a mortgage lender based in Portland, Oregon, and I'm licensed to do business in about eight states, and I invest in single-family homes. And I'm Stephen Tran. I'm an Oregon and Washington realtor, and I invest in multifamily and short-term rentals. And uh, Jordan, who did we have the pleasure of interviewing today? Oh, we had a really great interview today with um, a friend of mine in in Salem here. Uh, His name is Kevin Pena. Uh, and he, he's got a kind of interesting background, like he grew up in, in Mexico, he was in politics there, um, and did a couple of other things before getting into real estate, right? Yeah, and then I th- believe he started at EXP as an agent and has a team of, what, eight agents? Yeah, yeah, and he does some, um, his focus on investing right now is um, remodels that are uh, buy and hold. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, he has a really great story, interesting path to real estate, and uh, just check it out and follow in. Hey guys, welcome to the Realized Gains Podcast. I'm Stephen Tran. And I'm your co-host, Jordan Lee, and we're super excited to have a special guest here, Kevin Pena. Kevin, if if you don't mind, will you just give us a quick uh, introduction into your, you know, your your journey into real estate, like what field you came from and, and what brought you here? Yeah, so, I mean, crazy, crazy background, but um, really before getting into real estate or really coming to the United States, I was in Mexico and I was working politics. Um, and then I transitioned over to coming into the United States on a student visa, got my degree in business. And after graduating, my wife and I, um, were just looking at different options. We ended up moving. Sorry, you grew up in Mexico? Grew up in Mexico for the, for the most part. So a little bit of a split. So from like the age of zero to five, I'm in Mexico. My parents bring me to the United States. Mm-hmm. I end up graduating high school here. Okay. Okay. And then I move out of the country. I go to Europe for a little bit. Then I go to Mexico. In Mexico is where I did everything. I, uh, I mean, 
I managed casinos at mm. some point. Yeah, I remember um, you mentioned that. Yeah. And then I got into politics. And then after that, that's when I landed back in the United States, met my wife. Now we got married. We moved to Texas because we were super interested in figuring out like how to save money, how to make money and how to really kick off our lives together. Mm-hmm. Texas cost of living was a lot less expensive. So we go there and we land in Waco, Texas, which was like HGTV capital with Chip and Joanna Gaines <laughs> going on. And so well, what year was this about? This was what, 2016? Okay. 2016. So it was like things were, were popping off. Chip and Joanna Gaines were just expanding. They had just done the silos. Mm-hmm. And so it was really kicking off. And so I got really interested in like, how do we flip houses? How do we invest in real estate? How do we do that? Because that seems like that's the answer, right? That's the, that's the way to do it. And so I got a job in sales, started off, and I started making some money. We were doing pretty well. And so then I was like, we, we got to start making some moves. Um, and I think that that's the biggest thing is we also saw it as like a huge like thing to, to take on. But we knew that if we were really conservative about how we were spending our money and we had that goal in mind, that it wasn't really about like how difficult it was. It was just about making sure that we were planning correctly so that when an opportunity came, we were ready for it Mm -hmm. and not being afraid to do it, right? Jumping in and planning or mitigating our risk tolerance to know, hey, this is somewhere where we feel comfortable. We still have our jobs. We still have everything going on, but let's, let's try it and learn as we go, right? With assessing our risk. And so when we were in Texas, we really wanted to do it there, but we got pregnant. Mm. And so we decided, okay, we have to make a decision here. Do we want to stay here or do we want to go back to Oregon where her family is, my family was, and we decided Oregon was the way to go. So we moved back and we actually bought a house before even moving back, sight unseen. um, And it was a for sale by owner because um, (coughs) my wife's stepmom was walking by Bush Park neighborhood sees it for sale sign, like one of the signs you see on, on a car, on the back of a car when it's <laughs> yeah. being sold. And uh, we called her and she was a mortgage loan officer that had a like rental portfolio and mm-hmm. she was about to retire. So she was just getting rid of it. And so they'd just done some pretty decent remodels to it, like the main, main thing. So we knew we were going into it. The furnace was good. The roof was good. But cosmetically, the house was still kind of looking like a rental. Sure. But the location was great. And so we decided, okay, it's less expensive than we were planning on spending. It's a smaller house, but it's in a great location. It could turn into a great rental down the road. Does it make sense? Let's do it. And so that was our first step into it. And because we did that, I saw it like, okay, I'm transitioning back. I had a sales job. What do I want to do now? I really want to get invested into real estate. I want to know as much as I can. And so that's literally, I got my uh, paternity leave from my job. Mm. Well, when we came back over here, and during my paternity leave, I was just like, full on, how do I get my real estate license in three months? <laughs> what, what were you doing in sales? Like, which company were you working So for? I was working for T-Mobile. For T-Mobile, okay. Yeah, okay. so it was a, kind of like a tech sale kind right. of a, a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and same thing. I mean, I, I, I liked my job that I was doing. I was making decent money, but I didn't have freedom. And I didn't see myself long term being there. I wanted to do something for myself. And I thought real estate was that exactly. And I actually kept that job for a while while I was kind of getting my, my business going and mm-hmm. running and it was an easy thing to do. I just started more part-time hours there. Um, but then we started really focusing on saving money, being lendable and 
finding opportunities off market with the way we were doing things to try to acquire as much real estate as possible as fast as possible. Mm. So you got the first property, you bought it as a primary primary um, residence. And yeah. then how how did you how did you manage to do that? Did you get did you just like had you had money saved for down payment or Yeah, we had we had money saved up for down payment. We were being super frugal. In Texas, cost of living's pretty pretty mm-hmm. cheap. So <clears throat> we just saved up as much as we could. Britt was working too, my wife was working too. She was working a nonprofit job, so not making a bunch of money, mm-hmm. but she had an income when she transitioned over to Oregon. We just she just stopped working. And so it was my income. And back then we were in a spot where, I mean, that house was inexpensive, so super affordable. Yeah, this was what, 2017? 2017. um, So super affordable. Uh, Actually, 2019. Oh, 2019. Yeah, because we lived in Texas for a couple years. Okay. Um, So 2019, we buy like right in December. Well, how much was it? So how big was this house? Uh, 1,200 square feet. but, But it's in Bush Park. So, I mean... What did you pay? We, we ended up getting it. It was December of 2018. January is when we move in, and we got it for two hundred and sixty thousand dollars. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So now, but now it's probably worth what, like five hundred or something? Somewhere, yeah, probably four something. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, we ended up doing a basement remodel. So okay. the full basement downstairs was about nine hundred square feet, and so oh, nice. we added a bedroom, bathroom. Okay. And um, that's that's pretty much that house, that project. And yeah, since then we've kind of just been chipping away, trying to partner up with people to do projects mm-hmm. or doing projects ourselves uh, whenever we can, or honestly getting houses that maybe we can't take the project on, but we know investors that can right. and, and doing that kind of thing. But just consistently looking at different opportunities um, because we are just full in, right? Yeah, I have a question about this house where you added the, you remodeled the basement and added the bedroom bathroom like, you know, the, you, this is your first project, right? Yep. Can you kind of talk about that experience and so, how you learned? Yeah, so that... Was it already dug out? I mean, yeah, everything was okay. good. Height was okay. good. I think the, the the most, like, the most labor that I did is we ended up adding an uh, egress window, and the egress window is pretty large. Um, I think it's a, let's say, it's like a <clears throat> four-foot tall window by three feet. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty large opening. And for our listeners, what's the idea of like adding an egress window? So for, yeah, the idea of an egress window is that you can actually have the city um, say that permit the the house for having an additional bedroom. And um, if you don't have an egress window, you can't necessarily call it a bedroom or an actual living space. Because if in the case uh, an emergency, something happens, if there isn't two egresses or an egress from each bedroom, then it's not considered that way. So for permitting... That's what we had to do. I think they, it needs to be big enough to fit a fireman with like their full gear on so they can get in for an emergency. For an okay. emergency. Yeah. And then for exiting purposes, like there has to be a certain windowsill and you guys have to check your own l- local ordinances, but um, it has to be like low enough to where you can climb out of it or mm-hmm. most people could. And then you'll have a window well, which is basically where you're going to climb out of from a basement. And then you have to be able to climb back onto just level ground. Hmm. So did you have to dig through foundation to do that? So we cut through foundation. So we kind of hired everybody separately. So Mm -hmm. I acted as like the the general Mm -hmm. contract with the GC. um, And we went through the permitting process ourselves. So we learned a lot talking to the city about what we needed to do. And so that kind of guided us through. And I mean, all of this went a lot slower than it could have gone if we just hired a GC. But I think that that learning experience also helped us so that when we have hired GCs in like in other projects, we at least have a you know a reference to what things should look like and right. what they should be, um, and so that that helped us out. And I think the most laborious thing that I did was 
The exterior, we did all the landscaping with a buddy of mine. So a lot of digging, a lot of hard labor, but nothing super technical. And then when it came to doing the egress window, I dug out a four foot deep by like four feet wide hole. And if you've ever dug that much dirt, it is not easy. Yeah, <laughs> I've done an egress window yeah. at my sister's house. And then we put one of those uh, big metal like like vent wells yep yeah yeah that was not fun at all. <laughs> no, it's a lot of digging you're gonna get some blisters but it's it's all worth it at the end you feel pretty good about it and we got it in and it looks great and so super super neat um, but that was that was pretty much it and a lot of the other stuff was just kind of pretty simple stuff um, I think the biggest nuances with a basement is <clears throat> keeping it dry what type of materials to use down there and how to make it look decent without spending you know, a bunch of money because basements don't have the same amount of like value as you would have on a normal floor. Right. Mm -hmm. So you can't overspend. That's the the biggest mistake I think a lot of people make is they try to get everything perfect. Um, and you're going to find a lot of like foundation restoration guys that will try to make or like promise to make your basement super, super like dry and you'll never have any moisture in your basement. And I think for some spaces it's, it's worth it. But there's other solutions. Um, and when I've been bid for, or when we got bids for that, it was just like, it blew our budget out of the water. So it was not worth it for us to do that. We maintained, you know, a creative outlook on it and kind of try to find a way to find a more economic solution than spending, you know, $30,000, $40,000 on getting the basement waterproofed by a professional company. Okay. So you had already had some water intrusion down there. Yes. This is very common in our, in our climate, it, right? It's, it's super, super normal. Um, and I think that that's, that's the one thing too, is like, if you're getting into a house where the basement was never redone, never updated, wait a season, right? Like wait a season, see kind of what, mm. what can happen, where the moisture is coming in <clears> and then do research on how you can fix that specific issue that you're having, right? Because sometimes it could be it's coming up from the the floor or it's coming up maybe just from one exterior wall. Okay. And if it's coming, depending on where it's coming from, there's different solutions for it. Um, and so you don't have to have a full-on, full mitigation system for the whole basement if there's no water on one side it, of the basement. So what did you guys end up doing? So we did some uh, painting or primer, basically. Uh, we made sure that actually in the exterior of the house, all of the water that was being collected in the um, gutters was actually going away from it because a lot of it was this one gutter that was coming down and it was so close to one of the walls that all that water would just build up when there was a lot of rain. Mm. And then that area would have so much pressure from the water that water would go through the basically the seam of the uh, foundation wall and then the flooring you just find the path of least resistance path whatever, of least yeah. resistance and so we were getting water there so we ended up installing a sump pump on that side of the house mm -hmm. ceiling and that space is a space that is not finished okay we just didn't spend the money there right. and it's under the under the staircase coming down okay. into the into the basement and so that area is an area where we just have as much as we can there and then the materials that we used for the inside of the basement are materials that have more resistance to moisture. Got it. Right. So I like the drywall for like the bathrooms, like that type of drywall, the green, green board, I think green board. Yeah. And, mm. um, another thing we did that was super important is cause down the road we plan on having both spaces rented potentially. Yeah. And so we did soundproofing <coughs> in the, um, in the, um, on the ceiling. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, so you, you it's, and there's um, insulation that is more soundproof than others, but look it up. There's there's different ways to that you can do that. So I'm assuming it's, you know, one of those houses where there's a back door entrance, and that's yep. the one that you would use as a separate entrance. Yeah, and, and 
it could be that way yeah but there's a door from inside and there's a door from outside so either oh, way if you wanted to perfect. connect it yeah you mentioned something earlier about um, not overspending on a basement and the and the value um, can you talk a little bit about how yeah subterranean value is is less because a lot of times you know I have clients that are assuming the value of their house just based purely on the square footage um, but yeah can you talk a little bit about why subgrade square footage is different <laughs> yeah I think it's still not gonna be normal living space you're still underground um, so for most people that are looking for a house and are gonna spend you know a decent amount of money on a house if you're looking at a house that's maybe five hundred six hundred thousand dollars and is the exact same square footage both are priced the same but one is actual square footage inside the house compared to having to go down to a basement mm. most buyers i think if you just think about i think that's always something that you have to have in mind when you're investing um and you're buying properties to resell or to rent out is you have to think about how the typical buyer would look at it right mm. or the typical renter how much usability is there going to be in this space and compare it to the other spaces that are similar mm. um, and so price it out right if there's a house that doesn't have a basement but has the same square footage I, th I don't think you can compete necessarily when it's a basement because like I said you're still underground you're still retrofitting essentially a space that was not supposed to be livable into a livable space Correct. and so um, people are going to know that and they're going to feel that yeah it's sometimes noticeable you have like uh, the vents and everything that you have to drywall around it's pretty right. obvious yep. that yeah. it was a basement <laughs> less natural light less natural light um, and I know from just from the lending and appraisal perspective anytime yeah a bunch of your square footage is subgrade it's going to get docked just price wise <clears throat> and not only that is that you're they're always going to compare you to other homes that have that same like basement, basement. or subgrade set up yeah um, because it's just a better comparison from their perspective. And, and so that can sometimes cause your comps to like not be your next door neighbor. Totally. If not everyone, if everyone doesn't have basements or, or whatever in the area. 100%. Yeah, they might just throw a fixed value for, okay, their basement's done, let's add another 50 grand, but they're comparing it to other, like you said, houses with unfinished basements. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's the, the smartest thing. For us, it's a house that we're turning into a rental. So it wasn't something that we wanted to like, put the nice, nicest finishes in. But I think that most people should think about it that way, even if you're thinking about reselling, right. is give people maybe a blank ca canvas, but a finished space, right? Mm -hmm. So don't go above and beyond with super nice finishes, just kind of rental grade, and then let people, even if you are selling it, come in and upgrade it as they'd like. Right. Yeah, because it's more about having that space in it. And if you can rent it out, perfect, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Did this place end up being under budget? Or at budget? Yeah, I think it was under budget where we were at with it. Um, you know, and there's still some things that we pro probably would want to do. Mm -hmm. But for now, it's a finished space. Everything's there. And <clears throat> just like I said, so it's been good. And I think we ran on a really good market. And so we have the benefit of that. So it, it made it great for our first one. I think I would definitely do things differently um, if it was my second go around. Um, and I think there's a cost to the learning the things that I learned because I took it on as a GC, right? So yeah. delays, timing, all that stuff that we could have done quicker, maybe gotten into other deals or put our money into right. other things. Um, but when it's your first deal, I think taking it slow and learning as much as you can in the process is 
it, it's it really is like well, plus it was your primary you're living yeah. there so it's not like you're paying hard money fees nope. and, and everything and it's in the basement too and like you're, you're not, you're not uh, taking over like the space you're living in so like totally. you're comfortably sleeping yeah. you have your bathrooms and your sinks and everything there's no pressure of like oh man we need to get this done because there's construction going on in right. my bedroom it's just kind of it, it was super flow and i was also ramping up my business so <clears throat> Yeah. So have you, are you still, are you still there then? We're still there oh, okay. right now. Yeah. And we're kind of just, honestly, the, the main reason that we're there and it makes it really, really nice is that we have, um, Brit's parents across the park from us. Oh, perfect. And so right now with our three-year-old, it's like, we've thought about going to different places. We thought about buying another house, maybe in the Bush Park area. Um, but nothing has come up that's interesting enough we have a couple neighbors we're like hey when you guys move we're it's, ready to buy it's your so house. interesting about this neighborhood because like i have a client just the same thing it's yep. like he, they've been looking for three years in that specific yep. neighborhood and like won't look anywhere else I, I mean i don't know this neighbor it's bush park in salem is it like super prestigious or? uh it's just so very close to downtown okay um but far enough away where you know you're not in downtown um but you're you have salem hospital um three four five blocks away you have South Salem High School right across the street, basically, if you're in that area. And then you have Bush Park, which is one of the largest inner city parks yeah. um, in Salem. Um, and then you have Willamette University that's right there in the middle of it all. So um, Easy access to the five. Everything is, yeah. is right there. I think it's an understated um, neighborhood because it's older homes. Yeah. But I think as time goes on, as Salem downtown area gets developed and grows, and that neighborhood gets gentrified and i think we're just at like the beginning of it we're seeing a lot of younger families popping up when we moved in it was kind of the beginning of that and we like everybody around us is you know retired and kind of just doing their thing and so um it's just a matter of time before it all kind of turns and we're seeing that happening Mm. right now yeah interesting okay so now so you've got your place you're working on other projects what what do you Kind of what's your idea when you're looking at deals and you're, when you're looking at projects? What's your what's your kind of metric or focus that you're using right now? So for, for, for us personally, um, I mean, right now where we're at is we want things that are single story because they're probably the most like flexible in mm. how you can exit out of them or what you can do with them. Um, typically, they're also easier projects. Um, and then we're looking for things that are just priced reasonably to where we can come in and do a, a quick turnaround we're we're keeping hold so we're looking at okay how, so you're not you're not flipping and selling no here. i'm not i'm not trying to flip and sell i think for me and my family it's if we can acquire as many houses as we can mm-hmm. over the time and maybe we trade off those houses and you know after a few years after or a few, few yeah. years just based on you know <clears throat> capital expenditures and and expenses that are coming up on the houses we assess it based on that um but i think we came up with that and it took us some time to really come up with that and it came with experience. But I think for people out there that are thinking about going in and jumping in, especially if it's your first place, um, the criteria is important, but I think it's the experience of just jumping in and getting into it. Um, and I think jump in and get into it, but try to find something that's not going to be a huge over on like taking uh, undertaking. I think for us, the basement was a bigger undertaking than we like thought it was going to be it seems a lot mm. easier but there's so many nuances you looked and, at the house and you're like okay good roof good foundation yep. <laughs> just you know 900 square foot basement that's gonna be simple right simple yeah simple and there's so much to it right and i think that that's the the biggest thing is any big renovation like that 
is going to take more than you actually expect it to take. So for a first time home buyer that's going to like try to turn that first home into an investment, I would recommend more focusing on getting into something that you're going to be comfortable in um, and that's going to be easily rentable if that's the goal. Um, And maybe just have some cosmetic updating to do because you'll be able to take that on and then that'll build up momentum for you to be able to want to do more in the future, right? You don't want to get stuck on your first project and it be a super <clears throat> negative experience. Mm. Oh, yeah. Because it's going to slow you down. I mean, because you said you added a bathroom, which needs a permit, right? And then... Everything needed a permit, yeah. It was permit for the bathroom, <laughs> permit for the How the was bedroom. it working with the city of Salem, though? It wasn't too bad. Because a lot of our listeners are in Portland and, and have had mixed experiences. With okay. Multnomah County. <laughs> <laughs> Salem wasn't too bad. It was fairly, fairly easy. I mean, we had our projects come back a couple times. I used, you know, just a, an app to be able to draw out my plans and send oh, okay. everything in. Um, and it, it wasn't too bad. I mean, the guy, things aren't super fast. We weren't going super fast, though. Yeah. So it was it was okay. I think if you're trying to go super fast, it might be a different experience. But for us, it was, it was decent. Um, and then we'd actually get a lot of feedback. And we were super explicit about us being super, you know, mm-hmm. new to it, not a lot of experience. And so... But you're able to, like, have... E- straightforward communication with them. straightforward like communication them, be like hey i'm not i'm not licensed decent. but it's my yeah. own house and we want to do this this and this what do we need to do and what's code here and so they would say look this is what you need this is the code mm-hmm. and then they would send our review plans or our plans back from review and they'd have specifics on what we needed to correct and so then i could do it and so it re- i mean like i said it was a great learning experience and it wasn't that that horrible it was yeah pretty doable um, for this basement, because you said you might have it as a separate rental at some point. Yeah. Did you end up putting like a kitchen down there or a kitchenette? It's a kitchenette. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah nice. A and kitchenette. can you explain the difference between a kitchenette and a kitchen? Yeah, I mean, and basically it's per city, but basically what we, what we needed to do is we just can't have an actual stove, right? So we have to have either a burner on the top. Uh, we can have a refrigerator. We could have a dishwasher. <clears throat> you can have a sink, mm. um, but you can't have an actual full cooking stove down at the basement. And so... It's just a countertop. There's no actual stove. There's a fridge, um, and, sink. And what is the thinking behind that? Just of, in terms of ventilation, or I think I think it's a safety yeah, protocol, okay. right? Um, and maybe now you can, based on like the the um, what is it, the ADU rules, right, right. Um, but when we were doing it, you couldn't have. Oh, they told you you could not. You can't put do a full it, kitchen. two kitchen two kitchens in a house like that. Oh, interesting. Oh, interesting. Okay, um, and then. Did you get it permitted as an ADU as well? No, it's just as an add-on. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But you could easily go and do that if if you were wanted to, or how to? Does... Don't don't quote me on that. I'm not sure if a basement could be turned into an ADU. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, check. Try to see if it, if it can. If that's the goal, I think that that's that's definitely something you should look into. Yeah. I mean, my understanding in, in Portland, you can't. There's uh, basements that people turn into ADUs. ADUs. Yeah. 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 As long as you have a, a separate entrance, right? Yeah. There's detached ADUs and then ADUs that are attached. Part, yeah. yeah. Attached. So, mm-hmm. I mean, how do you feel about your prospects of renting with a kitchenette? I don't think it's going to be an issue. I mean, I think our goal would probably be to short-term rental yeah the property so for us it's you don't need a full kitchen yeah have you looked into that market at all every time i look on on salem it seems like there's like zero supply (laughs) yeah there's it seems like a wide open market to me it is it is a wide open market i have a couple friends that have some and they do they do pretty decent um in the just in the local area i think you have a lot of commuting people coming into salem with Mm -hmm. government workers and um healthcare workers um and so for us, that's that's interesting. We plan on trying it out when we're ready 
and seeing how the numbers look on Airbnb. Um, and then if that doesn't work and it doesn't do what we want it to do financially, then we can go long-term. And long-term, we have experience with doing that. And we have um, an area where I think we could find somebody mm. that could pay. Decent. Nice. And yeah, don't write off midterm either as well. Right. We, uh, we have uh, someone that came on our show that was... What she really liked about it is that it was in, it wasn't in Portland, it was like in, in Vancouver. Um, and so she got a lot of people that were staying there. I mean, she had a full house, but yep. they were staying there from the neighborhood that like nice. didn't want to leave the neighborhood while they were doing a remodel or okay, something cool. like that for, you know, 30 days. Also, like a lot of these cities have restrictions on 30 days or less. Totally. And just once you get over that 30 day mark, it's basically totally fine and yep. you don't need to get the permits right. or correct yeah get, have any fines from the city totally and i've even seen i mean when i started doing some research on kind of the competition around for airbnb a lot of the houses in the in the bush park neighborhood which there isn't many that do the airbnb had it listed for 30 minutes for 30 day minimum stay yeah and mm. so you have to have it rented now how that works or you know, how strict that is, I'm not sure. Mm. But I'm sure that there's some flexibility on if somebody puts in the request to stay 30 days but actually only needs to stay 15. Oh, right, right. Oh, is Bush, does Bush Park have an HOA or? No HOA. Oh, okay. And one part of Bush Park area is going to be in the historic district. I and see. And then there's an area that is oh, part of the historic yeah, district. Oh, yeah, like a certain area. I got it. Um, and so those, those boundary lines, that's something to look into too. No matter where you're buying, historic district is going to come with a separate uh, set of rules and restrictions and guidelines. And so whenever you are purchasing, especially in a neighborhood that's more established or an older neighborhood, check, see if it's historic or not, and see what that's going to look like because it's going to slow down any renovations that you do. Luckily, where we're at, and we didn't even look into this, so we got super, super lucky, but luckily where we were at is Cross Street is um, where we're at and High Street is the, the main road. But on Cross Street, this side or the houses in front of us are historic mm. and the houses on our side are not historic. <laughs> so we're literally right on the borderline and we got super, super lucky. Nobody looks or they don't have as much attention on those houses as they do on the historic houses. If anybody starts doing any work on the on a historic home, I mean, just the neighbors alone are calling up and saying, hey, what's going on over right, here? Right. So, yeah, because the idea with the historic district is what that you have to like preserve a, a certain facade for the correct yeah for everyone. So yeah, and any I mean, any remodel project you do, you have to get pat like accepted. the neighborhood yeah, basically has, has to, to accept it. it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and so I mean, yeah, it it, it would have been a lot more difficult having it having it there. There is also benefits though to being in historic districts. Um, our father-in-law, my father-in-law, is in the historic district, and there's actually grants that they provide for mm. people doing exterior work. So he has his siding that he needs to redo, and he is putting in an application for a, for a, um, a grant, and I think it's like a $7,500 grant so that nice. he can maintain. And essentially it's to offset the cost of going to a new material that's maybe easier to install over conserving the the look and sticking with a like older material right right to use like cedar shake siding or something <laughs> yeah exactly like that. yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> instead of uh, okay interesting t111 yeah yeah <laughs> so uh are you working on any new projects right now or Cur currently we're i mean we have a, a bigger project in mind that we want to do and so right now we're just raising capital and uh, staying conservative and, and patient. Um, my wife is in the event industry. And mm -hmm. so we really want to jump in and get some acreage and potentially turn it into a venue. Oh, nice. Um, so that's, that's really what's the biggest thing on our mind right now. And besides that, we have one project that 
um, we've been helping my father-in-law with, and it's a house in West Salem. It's a huge 3,200 square foot renovation. Oh, wow. Um, and so that one last year is when it was acquired and um, it's been a pretty long project. He's GCing the whole thing, he's taking it on. And so we're just taking our time and it's been super, super, super nice. What's the game plan with that one with 3,200 square feet? Is that gonna be like a long-term rental? That, that sounds like a lot of home for yeah, rental. Yeah, for rental that one is a lot. Yeah, um, is that past, is there renters for that in this market? There is renters for that. And I think the only thing where we're kind of hesitant, and we'll see once it's finished, because we're also doing a substantial renovation to it. Um, we'll see if it makes sense to, to rent it or not. Um, I think this one might be the, the one that we end up selling. Yeah, um, like actually flipping it. Mm -hmm. Actually flipping it, and it'll be a long-term flip. And so th our goal is just to take about a year to do it because mm -hmm. uh, we picked it up for a uh, pretty low cost, and the holding costs aren't that crazy. And so holding it for about a year so that we pass that um, short-term capital gains tax right? and then being able to sell it um, is kind of where we're at. Um, but that one, yeah, that'll be a, a cool project to kind of see come come together all the and, time. And what do you, are you, is this like a total gut job or? Yeah, so if, yeah, I mean, pretty much total gut job. Um, everything is gonna be updated. I mean, the siding was even redone, the windows were redone, roofing was redone. <clears throat> so huge, huge project, um, but a great, great house and great location. And yeah, we just got really lucky with the price on it. So it gives us a lot of flexibility. Mm. So you mentioned you're looking at acreage. Um, there's a lot of tertiary markets around Salem that have, you know, great property, great yeah. acreage. Where, where is there a specific area that you're looking at? I mean, for us, ideally it would be somewhere, um, probably closer to like Amity, McMinnville, kind mm -hmm. of that area. Cause that's just where people want to go. Um, we've also explored, um, more on the west side of things so maybe like um going towards staten sublimity that area even further north um mm -hmm. mount angel silverton um anywhere over there and then there's some smaller little areas above that that have some more affordable acreage so in a place like that that's within you know half an hour or whatever 45 minutes, 45 right? minutes of salem um there's still going to be <clears throat> demand for like weddings um, oh, for sure, yeah. and, and what other type of events i think weddings is the probably going to be the the most you're going to see out there um mm. but typically i mean i don't know the wedding industry is where my wife is really diving into and the wedding industry is like is just popping off it mm. is it's crazy how much people will pay for a venue and for a full wedding um and things are just getting booked and it may be a, a huge like um kind of um, flow of or overflow of uh, people that were waiting during yeah. the pandemic True, yeah. uh, coming in, but I think it still is just it's just crazy. And she's been doing weddings for a long time. She started her business in Waco when we were in Texas, mm. and then transitioned it over here. And it's it's been consistent. The only thing that's really changed is just with inflation, things have gotten so much more expensive. So oh yeah, um, it's crazy. Like I think she works for a couple different venues or partners with them to where she's like the um, preferred vendor or preferred event planner, mm -hmm. coordinator. And um, those, I mean, there's one that just is opening up for this season and it hasn't even been finished. And I think she already has like 45 weddings booked. Wow. Um, Holy cow. Yeah. So the whole summer is I mean, booked. that's basically, I mean, can you do that much more? Like, no. Because there's only 52 weekends yeah. a year, right? And a lot so of those weekends, you're not going to You're use. not going to have a wedding. And yeah. she's, she has them booked. So she has 45 weddings booked. 
some of them are for this year, some of them are already for next year. Okay. Um, but she, I think her going rate is six thousand dollars for a weekend. And this, so this is a brand new wedding space, or brand new wedding space. And what is so? What did she do to create this? Like, what are you guys looking for to create a wedding space? So what they did, I mean, they bought the property, and the house that was there is was in decent shape, but it was, okay. I mean, just Whatever, a lot yeah. of potential, right? Um, and so they built something like a um, barn dominion kind of a style. Um, smaller house on the property oh yeah the what is that barn okay yeah those like pole barn basically it's like a pole barn but it's but it's built out to be a house and you can host and it can be turned into like an adu an airbnb whatever right Um, but that's where that space is going to be and then they built out a nice huge deck a landing pad everything to kind of cater for events um and so they did that i'm not completely sure how they did it Uh, i know that they partnered with um a family member to kind of get things going Mm -hmm. but she had her um design business her um yeah interior design business and uh, event design business that she had and they're just transitioning into that huh does it does it have like some spectacular views or anything it is it is is a nice okay it's a nice nice view like obviously it's acreage so we're just out in the middle of nowhere and the things that they're putting in she has her design you know background and so she's just making it really nice and it's i think the the cost of venues now to book a venue for a weekend to have a wedding there is so expensive that people are just trying to find really spaces that are still beautiful but not you know fifteen thousand dollars yeah i mean and i even when we got married back in 2011 i remember like the options for outdoor wedding venues were very small yeah and very expensive yep yeah yeah so and or they get booked, right? Right. Or, yeah, and they're booked out. And they're exactly. booked out. So, like you said, there is only so many weekends in the summer. And if there is a bunch of people getting married, it just it makes it to where you don't have that many options. Um, and, you know, there's there's a bunch of different things with wedding venues and the, the, the different things that you can offer. But my wife, being in the industry, she kind of has all the experience and all the knowledge mm-hmm. on it. And so we're, we're really excited. And it's something that is also going to give us an opportunity to turn, like, a dream of you know living in a space like that into a business opportunity that can also essentially hopefully make us you know enough money to live there for free right oh so you're planning to buy this acreage with the house you're going to live in and yeah. have the event space yeah. where you can just yeah run the weddings run the yeah. weddings do like whatever events. 30 to 50 weddings a year yep <clears throat> um and then on the off season maybe rent it out for yep. a couple's retreat or something like totally. that. totally yeah, and for me for my industry for my business i think it's a space that i could do a lot of yeah, host events, parties, host and, parties, mm-hmm. and, you know, networking events, client, you know, events. And so cool. for us, it's just kind of a, a really good place that makes sense. And if we can live there for free, it's just like, yeah, it's makes makes a lot of sense. I love that. Um, yeah. So if you were to like recommend anyone that was interested in like, you know, getting into investing or getting into real estate for the first time, what in this kind of climate, what what would you say to them? I think... Like, I, I think I mentioned this earlier, but one of the main things is just, I don't think really looking at the exterior noises of things is as important as it is to look at your own personal financial situation, look at your goals, your aspirations, where you want to be, and then make a really good plan uh, on, on your risk assessment and like think about, okay, what's the worst case scenario that can happen here? Am I willing to take on that risk? If not, how can I mitigate some of that risk? 
um, and then talk to a professional, right? Get some guidance on it. Mm-hmm. Interview a couple people. Don't go with the first person you meet. Um, and then start really narrowing down kind of your criteria, what you want to do. Get into something easy to start with. Um, get your finances right. Have some reserves and just go. Like you don't don't sit back and think about it too much. Just take action because that's the only way you're actually going to learn, right? And you can only do what you can with what you have in the moment. Yeah. You can't hope to have more or think you need more. Right. It's just do what you can with what you have. If you feel comfor- comfortable, take the leap, make it happen. And regardless of what the market condition is currently, if you're going to be buying multiple houses and your goal is to mm. grow over time, it's not going to really matter um, because you can't catch or time things no matter how much math you do. Like no, nobody can do that, right? So it's more about getting into it and getting going and then over the long term wealth is going to be built yeah makes yeah. sense and if people are looking to get a hold of you what options do they have so they can call or text that's pretty much the the easiest way um, my phone number personal phone number is 541-981-1589 and if not you can find me on instagram at the salem broker and uh, or facebook the salem broker the same way great thanks so much kevin really appreciate it thank you guys so much for yeah. having me Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to the Realize Gains podcast. If you have any questions for our co-hosts or guests, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com.